0: It's part 5. It's part It's part 5. I guess I missed part 4. And it's called Following Jesus to the Cross. Let's take a look at some scriptures. We're going to look at 3 passages, read them together and then draw some conclusions. Then he called the crowd to him. It's the next slide. It's the next slide. There it is. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple. Now, this is really important. Sorry to pause here, but whoever wants to be my disciple. He could have said whoever wants to be a convert, but he didn't. He used a very specific word. Whoever wants to be my disciple. And that's really what's at the heart of the matter. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Only a disciple would want to do that. Only a disciple would be willing to do that. A convert wouldn't do that. Take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Before I became uh, a disciple, I was a convert. And um, by that I mean I think I did a transaction whereby if I died, I probably would have gone to heaven. But I didn't understand what it was to be a disciple. And I remember my father had lunch with a really, really good Bible teacher and he brought me along and, I asked the question because I didn't understand this verse. I said, what does he mean? What is Jesus talking about? Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. I didn't understand it then, and the answer he gave me made no sense to me. Frankly, today I can't even remember it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Well, that made sense. Let's go to the next passage in Philippians. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, a convert isn't going to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. A convert is going to have their own mindset with a little bit of Jesus tacked on. But a disciple is seeking to have Jesus' mindset. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who... Being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. It's a little hint right there. Rather, he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. God comes to earth and makes himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then later in Philippians, Paul says this, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Now, converts want to know the power of his resurrection. Because a convert is in it, for what he can get out of the relationship. So a convert wants to know Jesus in order to share in his power. But Paul adds, and I want to participate in his sufferings. And he defines that, the extent of that participation, by saying, becoming like him in his death. No convert ever says that. Those are words that only come out of deep and radical commitment. They're the words that a disciple says. You can't read the Bible without coming to the conclusion that as Christians, we're called to share in Jesus' sufferings. Can you accept that? These three passages that I've chosen make that pretty clear, but it goes so far beyond that. It's very hard to read the New Testament without coming to the conclusion that we are to share in his sufferings. As I was sent, so send I you. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. A servant will not surpass his master. It's enough if he's like his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And here's one of his promises that never appears in your fridge. In this life, you will have trouble. That's one of his promises. It's a statement of truth. came from Jesus' mouth. In this life, you will have trouble. Yeah. But, but, I am with you always, and I will never forsake you, and you will never be alone, and there is no suffering you go through that I don't understand. And I'm right there beside you. I went to visit a friend in the hospital. They were having their second baby. It was a little girl. And we had prayed. It was at the, it was at the crest of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that our church was a part of. It was, we'd seen so many healings. It was extraordinary. And when we prayed for her, I saw the Spirit of God come on her in power. All the signs were there. and She knew it. Something was happening to her that she couldn't understand. So we were certain that this baby was going to live. Absolutely certain that the baby was going to live. Had all the faith in the world. And the baby died. Uh, An hour or two after childbirth. I remember sitting in a chair beside her after the baby had died. She was in so much pain, and the pain wasn't just the loss of the child, it was the death of faith. Because we'd prayed so hard to see this happen, and it hadn't happened. And I really had, I had no answers for her, because I was, in my own way, as torn up about that as anything that had happened in my life. In fact, I had a, crisis of faith after that incident. It took some time to get over. And I was trying to think, what can I say to her? What comfort, what explanation can you give for something like this? I'm not sure there is an explanation for something like this. And I closed my eyes and I saw her arm still sitting on the edge of the chair right beside me. And I saw tears fall on her arm. And the arm was out to her side, and she wasn't crying on her arm. And her arm was out to my side, and I wasn't crying on her arm. And I said, Lord, what are those? And what did he say? Those are my tears. See, there is no suffering that we endure that he doesn't feel. He lives inside of you. He feels all the pain that you feel. And that may not sound like much comfort, but listen, to suffer alone is a terrible thing. To suffer with someone who loves you is tolerable. I will never leave you or forsake you. There is nothing you go through that I'm not aware of, and I'm, I'm sharing every bit of it with you. His empathy is so great for us that Paul can actually say, I want to share in your sufferings even to the point of death, because this is how you care for me. And we're to follow his example. His goals are to be our goals, denying myself, taking up my cross, which means carrying around with me the instrument of my own death. Losing my life for Jesus and His church. Taking the nature of a servant even unto the point of death. Actually welcoming the privilege of sharing in His sufferings. These are clearly descriptions of the mindset of a real Christian. Why did I use the word real Christian? These, This is the mindset of a real Christian. Because I was intentional. That's because... We often hear something that sounds much like the opposite of what the Bible actually says. We hear much about his love and little about our response to it. See, the church that I grew up in billions of years ago, Paleolithic man, was very high on the judgment of God and his wrath and his anger and very huge on sin. And so the pendulum, thank God, has swung the other way. We hear much about His love and much about grace. But when the pendulum swings the other way, we forget some things. We forget that when we receive His love, He expects us to give it. That we're conduits of His grace. That we don't simply take it for ourselves, we pass it on. See, for His love, there's a response. A God-designed response in His children. As you receive it, you give it. Freely receive, freely give. It's in his world, it's an equation. It's mathematical. But we've sort of forgotten that. This one-sided message ends up giving the impression that all God is interested in is our comfort in this life. God forbid that we should ever experience suffering. And here's the kicker. And when we do consider the idea of suffering for him and his church, we interpret that suffering as inconvenience. In our country, in our culture, we have confused suffering with inconvenience. Isn't the worst thing that can happen in your week? A trip to the DMV. I mean, we really need to add, as a prayer point in our small groups, anyone who's going to the DMV is going to need the laying on of hands and serious prayer. <laughs> Preach it. <laughs> we, def- we, we define things like that as suffering. We have a bad hair day and we're suffering. We don't have the latest iPhone. We're suffering. We're being persecuted. Webster's Dictionary defines convenience as this. That which is suited to our comfort or ease. Convenience. That which is suited to our comfort or ease. Okay, listen to me. Being a Christian is, by God's design and definition, inconvenient. It is an assault against our convenience. It's supposed to be inconvenient. All the time. The kingdom of God is designed to be inconvenient. The goal God has for a life is not our comfort or ease. It is the development of Christ-like character. I want you to really think about this for a minute. If your Christian life is not inconvenient for you, you're not living it correctly. Let me say it again. If your Christian life is not inconvenient for you, you are not living it correctly. And it is usually inconvenient, but occasionally it will involve genuine suffering, which will make mere inconvenience look very attractive. This is something he wants us to sign up for. He expects us to say yes to this. Why would anybody... Sign up for this. Why would he want us to embrace this? Because of what we become through the inconvenience and the suffering, we become like him. Listen, the more you become like him, the more you are going to enjoy heaven. Do you get it? The more... You become like him now on this earth, the more when you get to heaven, you are going to enjoy it. And do the math. That was your life here on earth. No, just do the math. Take, take let's say you have a really good life, you live to be 100. Compared to eternity? Take an eyedropper. Drop a drop in the ocean. That drop is multitudes larger in comparison to your life in eternity. So becoming like Christ now is nothing but smart economics. It is. I mean, come on. Your enjoyment of heaven is proportional to your Christ-like character developed on earth. He has a sacrificial nature. God has a sacrificial nature. You know, if you say, well, Lord, prove you love me, and the Lord gives you a Maserati. So what? He's got a million of them. Say, God, prove how much you love me. And he gives you a hair transplant. (laughs) So what? It costs him nothing. All he has to do is think and they pop up. What can he give that actually costs him something? So he can say, I sacrifice something that matters to me. I have everything. But I only have one son. And he's perfect. And he is the joy of my life. The only thing I can think of that I can give to you to show you how much I love you. Your heavenly father has a sacrificial nature. It is within the Godhead. It is part of the Trinity. It's part of what humility is. He has a sacrificial nature. And the only way he can prove that to us is give the one thing that costs him everything to give. And that's what he does. And Christ-likeness is really sharing in the nature of God. To become like Him is to become sacrificial. To learn to live a sacrificial lifestyle. God literally gave of Himself until it literally killed Him. That's sacrifice. It is the deepest expression of love. And it is never convenient. And it is always difficult to make a choice like that. This is why the Christian life is described as a living sacrifice of dying daily. Why am I harping on this? Because it is extraordinarily and particularly difficult for us in this country Because our culture has made convenience a God. You have to understand the spiritual forces that you're living under. The spirit of the age, the spirit of the country, the spirit of the place. We have made convenience a God. When was the last time you actually made a salad rather than buying one? You know, like bought some tomatoes and this, that and the other thing and actually crazy as it may seem, chop them up on a little board. This is so stupid. This is what a waste of time. Chopping a salad. I can go in and pay five times as much and have one already made. So I'll just do that. People, oh, my God, I actually saw an advertisement for a kitchen tap. That you can touch with your elbow when it comes on. Because, heck, your hands might be full of something. Who wants to reach down and turn a tap? I mean, that's prehistoric. Hello? We'll pay anything for convenience. Convenience is a, is a false god, folks. In our culture, it's a false god. The temptation to put inconvenience ahead of all else is all around us. The idea of accepting something inconvenient is abhorrent. Yet, the kingdom of God is inherently inconvenient. And we're called to embrace that inconvenience. Beyond that, we're advised and expected to expect suffering on account of our faith. It's part of the package. And, crazy as it may seem... We're even called to rejoice when it happens. The founder of the uh, Quakers in England. You know, the Quakers were a group of very devoted Christians, devout Christians who had a visitation of the Holy Spirit. And one of the manifestations, principal manifestation amongst them when the Holy Spirit touched their meetings was that they started to shake which many of you have experienced and I've experienced on a number of occasions. The power is so great, your body begins to respond to it, and you find yourself like you're being electrocuted. Only it's not bad. It's wonderful because it's full of love. So anyway, they would would shake and quake. They called them the Quakers because this is what they did in their meetings. Well, the Church of England didn't take warmly to this. So they were routinely persecuted. One woman was dropped into a well, a dry well, for 30 days, left to die, one of the leaders. Many of them were killed by the church. In fact, it was part of what resulted in the colonization of this country. So the leader of the Quakers was riding his horse down an English country lane, the tall uh, hedges on both sides couldn't see other side of the hedge he was riding his horse down this country lane and a young boy took a brick heard this guy coming and lobbed it over the hedge and it hit him in the head knocked him off his horse and he got up praising god and this is what he said Praise you, God. Thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. It's been three days since anyone has persecuted me. And I was thinking I was losing my faith. I was losing my edge because no, nothing bad had happened for three days. Now I know I'm still in your arms where I belong. Now I know I'm still doing it right. Thank you for this sign. Just think of the DMV. And sort of like, okay, yeah, thank you for the DMV. Suffering and inconvenience are to be expected. We're we're, we're called upon to rejoice when it happens. Why? Because of what it produces within us. It produces the character of Jesus. But it produces more than that. Years ago, when I was pastoring our church in Canada, we were teaching through one of the books, and uh, I can't even remember which one it is, probably Philippians, and I was scheduled to teach the next lesson, lesson, and it was on suffering in the life of a Christian. So... The night before, I looked at the schedule and found out that I was to be speaking on suffering in the life of a Christian. So I didn't know that was going to be the topic. I had a dream. And this is the dream that I had. And it's kind of gruesome, but I'm sharing it with you because it has a point. In the dream, all of us in the church were in a war zone. We were behind enemy lines and we were in an occupied territory by the enemy army. So we were civilians living under an occupying army. And we were building our church building a little bit at a time. They let us do that. It grew slowly because of the way it was built. You know how real a dream is? A dream is like it's real. This is the gruesome part. This is how the church was built. The occupying army would take one or two of our people and kill them. And then they would take parts of their body and dry them out until they were as hard as wood. And they would give us the body parts and we would nail them up to the walls of our church. We would incorporate them into the building. Do you like the symbolism so far? It's creepy, but in the dream, I mean, it's like real. And we're always sad when... This happened and living in this constant fear of will I be next. But we all knew that it was ultimately a good thing. It was our purpose. It was our purpose to build this church. We're building God's church. So on one level, we were really glad. And on another, we lived in constant fear. And slowly the church progressed as our people died until there are only two of us left to die, myself and my best friend. And I remember this part of the dream, sitting on the floor across from him, waiting to be taken, knowing that one of us would be next and wondering which one it would be and looking into his face and seeing the fear And feeling such fear and unbelief that something this horrible was actually going to happen to me. And I was hoping against hope that something would happen to stop my death. And to my shame, that included hoping that he would be taken before me and I would survive. That's really corrupt, but I guess it's human. The fear was overwhelming. And I remember talking to my friend, preparing ourselves to die. We talked about how we knew it was worth it to see the church built, and we felt comfort, some comfort in knowing that. And they came, and they took my friend, and they killed him. And I was alone and really full of fear. I can't describe how real it was. Just hoping that something would happen to save my life. And as I'm sitting there in this fear, hoping that something would happen to change my life, there was a huge commotion outside. And I went out, and there was an army vehicle liberating our town, and it was full of school children. They unloaded the children, and they brought them into the church, which was going to be used for their school. And at first, I couldn't believe that I was really going to live. It was was too good to be true. I I didn't get really that we were being liberated. So I grabbed a few of the kids and started leading them in. I was thinking that maybe if I got caught up in all of this new activity, I'd be forgotten and not killed. Well, I, I didn't need to worry. It was liberation. We were liberated. And I wasn't killed. And I survived. But as soon as I realized... That I'd survived the shame came They call it I guess Survivor syndrome I realized that my friends that I had led had given their lives for this church and I had not And the sense of missing out on my purpose was totally devastating In this dream I had no desire to live Because I felt my life had been saved by cowardice. And my life had no purpose or meaning. And my own feeling of self-preservation accused me. And I actually wanted and wished to die. I wished more than anything that it had been me who was killed and not my friend. Honestly, I can't describe how overwhelming and real these feelings of cowardice, compromise, selfishness, and missed opportunity were. Because it was real in the dream. And when I woke up, the feelings continued. And then it gets worse because now I'm me and I see in myself this tremendous self-focus and half-heartedness about the call of God on my life. And I called out for him to save me from myself. And I saw that a continuation in my selfishness is worse than death. (laughs) But I knew I was helpless to change myself. And I called out to God to give me passion for him and the work of his church. That was, gosh. 30 years ago? That was a good dream. I needed that dream. That dream really helped. It still does. Today, I think that dream is one of the greatest gifts he's given me. That I could see and feel that truth so clearly. Here's the truth. Missing out on our opportunity to become like him is the ultimate failure. Missing out on our opportunity to become like him is the ultimate failure. See, one day we're going to stand before him to account for how we've lived our lives. We're each called to live to die. Jesus' purpose in coming was to die. He's the only person who's ever been born whose purpose for their life is his death. And we're called to be like him. We're called to live to die. Very few of us will be martyred. But you know what? You can be martyred every day. Be good to your wife. It'll kill you. I'm serious. Be good to your husband. It'll kill you. Forgive the guy at work. It'll kill you. Death by a thousand cuts. It's the worst torture ever invented. It'll kill you. You're born to die. When you're reborn into his kingdom, you're born into his family and his likeness and his purposes. You're born to die. So when you understand you're born to die, folks, inconvenience is not a problem. It's just one of the little cuts. Death by a thousand inconveniences. But every time you choose that inconvenience, some ugly part of you dies. Another chip is taken off of your self-interest. Every time you choose that, you become a little bit more like him. Seriously. We're all into the spectacular. You know, I just, I'll die for you, Jesus. Sure, if I can do it right now and it's painless. But what if he says, I'm looking for a living sacrifice? Which is what he said. Looking for a living sacrifice. Here's what helps if we get it in our mind that this is what we're made for and we see the purpose of it and the value of it in eternity and what we're becoming now, then we can accept some of these things and say, yeah, well, you know what? It comes with the turf and we can say no to the most pleasurable sin of all sins. Self-pity. There is no more pleasurable sin than self pity, and it is the ultimately destructive sin. Oh, poor me. Have you been reading Hope Ator's posts while she's going through chemo? I sniff for self pity. Everywhere I go, I don't smell it there. My wife lives with pain and has for the last 20 years. Her biggest fear is self-pity. And she says to me, when you see me sliding into self-pity, you catch me right away and tell it to me to my face. And I do. And she doesn't like it. But two hours later, she comes back and says, thank you. I really needed that. You can't afford it, folks. You can't afford self-pity. It's too expensive. The damage it does is not worth the pleasure it brings. And if we can embrace that we are born to die and that inconvenience is the definition of the kingdom. any time God asks you to do something, it'll rub up against you. Every action of self-sacrifice, every action of kindness, it costs something. It always assaults something within us. We're called to build his church and advance his kingdom and to love sacrificially. This is what we are as Christians. We're for the gospel, one another, the church, and his kingdom. Now, I've set you up for a cell. Are you ready? There's an application to this truth, and it's practical, and it's here amongst us. We're blessed with opportunities for you to strike a blow against the God of convenience in your lives. Look, we've got a need for volunteers in our Sunday school. With the kids. We ask for one Sunday a month. It's inconvenient. It's one Sunday a month. It could kill you. It's one Sunday a month. What a sacrifice. It's one Sunday a month. It's outrageous that we should ask for this. But we have an ulterior motive. Your holiness. I just thought it was the coolest thing. That dream with we were building... A church. We thought we were building a church out of ourselves, out of our sacrificed bodies. Turned out we were building a place for children. That's what it was used for. Well, you can sacrifice yourself for the kids. We need volunteers. You can talk to my wife Shelly about that. We need more teachers. We need more helpers. And number two, the other thing we really need is we need people to set this whole thing up. Now we have a big, huge truck, one of those like moving trucks. It's full of gear, all of which you see here. It has to come here every morning at 8 o'clock, every Sunday at 8 o'clock, and be dumped out and all set up and then put all back and then drive, driven back to the storage place. And we've got a big like van that's full of all the Sunday school stuff, it needs to be driven, needs to be emptied, set up, cleaned up, put back in and driven back. And it's really wearing those guys out that are doing it right now, and it's not fair. It's not fair that they should bear the sacrifice for everybody else. So, David, put your hand up for a minute. David's in charge of that setup crew. We need drivers. It's once a month. It's inconvenient. Because it's once a month. It's so inconvenient. Couldn't it be once a year? Well, once a month. It's inconvenient. It's a good thing, guys, because it's a chance to overcome our addiction to convenience and it strikes a blow for the kingdom of God. Now we're going to have an altar call and all the volunteers are going to come forward. No, we're not. Let's just pray for a minute. Father, I, I believe... With all of my heart and mind that everything that I've said this morning is true. And it's a truth we need to hear. And we need to get it. Because our enjoyment of our eternity depends on it. And we want to know you. We want to share in your power, but we want to share in your sufferings too. And if the small price we pay is inconvenience, Lord, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Strike a blow against the God of convenience over this nation, especially over this state. Holy Spirit, I would ask you to speak to us and show each one of us the way that we can say no to the God of convenience and accept some inconvenience and how we can see our sufferings differently. And most of all, how we can see our identity differently because we see your sacrificial nature and what you're really like. And we'd like to be like that, Lord. So, Holy Spirit, I ask you to apply this message to each one of us, to our minds and our emotions and our hearts, and especially to our will. And you apply it the way you know best, Lord. Amen. Hey, guys, look, it. we have 10 more minutes. This is really fun when we have 10 more minutes. Any questions or comments about the message? Should we have a discussion for a few minutes? Because I love when we have the time to do that. You got a comment or question? Why don't you come up here?
1: Um, A couple months ago, I was doing some work, and I was kind of grumbling to myself, and I thought, you know, my life would just be so much easier if I didn't do this. And immediately, the Lord said, yes, it would be much easier, but it would not be as rich. And I thought, yes, it's when we're sacrificing, not that I always want to, but that's where the abundant life comes in. Right on. Anybody else?
0: Questions or comments? Yes. Come on up. And if if this rubs somebody the wrong way, I'd I'd love to hear about it, and you can tear a strip off me publicly. It'll be really fun. I get to suffer.
1: Um, About a year and a half ago, we went through the worst thing you could ever go through, in our opinion, and I could stand today and tell you it was the best thing that ever happened to us. So if you're going through something really hard, look at the Lord and see the light at the end of the tunnel because it's a purposeful thing. Right
0: on. Thanks, Angela. Anybody else? So, what, yes, come. Ladies and gentlemen, someone who's a Ph.D. in self-pity. <laughs> 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 For those listening on tape, no, he's, a, he's, he's not.
1: I'm the most humble guy you'll ever meet, just ask. (laughs) Just ask, I'll tell you. We were playing a game, um, what was it, Heads Up? We were playing Heads Up yesterday, and I said something inappropriate in one of the games, and my wife was next to me, and she just instinctively slapped my leg really hard. And it was like, at the moment, I felt, I am so disrespected. (laughs) So dishonored publicly in front of all my friends. And went to bed angry, which you never do when you're married. You should never go to bed angry. So I went to bed angry, woke up, and she asked me. The first thing this morning, she's like, are you still mad at me? And I was like, yes. I'm still angry. And and I just felt all disrespect and all that stuff. And the message, what a conviction. I'm sitting there like getting, oh, oh the self-pity monster is dying. No. And it's gone. So, yeah, I'm going to go humble myself and say, honey, I was having a self pity moment. I felt disrespected and it was silly.
0: And I was also a jerk in what I said.
1: And I was also a jerk in what I said. (laughs) And
0: and and to and to make and to make it up for you, darling, I'm gonna do the the dishes for a
1: week. (laughs) Her mother in law's in town so she's gonna help with the dishes so that's 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 wonderful. Thank you
0: guys. Jerry you stuck your hand up Okay, that's a really good question, and I should—I thought of that and didn't add it to the message. Um, the suffering of Jesus, when, when we say share in the sufferings of Jesus, when you look at the Bible, he was never sick. Um, he was poor, but that was by his choice. Hey, that's interesting. He endured that too. But here's the sufferings of Jesus as best described in the New Testament. He came unto his own and his own received him not. He came to people to help them and they completely rejected him. Not only did they reject him, they maligned him, they slandered him, and they killed him. So what we ought to expect as Christians is that we will be persecuted for our faith. And that has been irrelevant in this country up until recently because we've lived in a Christian country it's not a Christian country anymore and it's it's radically opposed to Christians at every level I know a doctoral scientist, a really good scientist who has no hope of promotion within the department because he's a creationist but his work is stellar absolutely stellar top-notch so persecution is going to get worse folks it's going to get worse and worse and worse And I'm not saying this prophetically. This is just, just look, just watch what's happening. The country is moving away from God. So we should get prepared for that emotionally. We should be saying persecution's coming. And when it's coming, it's a sign that I'm a Christian. And yes, my faith is going to actually cost me something in my reputation, my career, maybe my friendships. It's going to cost me something. And when it does, that's not a bad thing. That's a sign that you're doing it right. Now, what about suffering that isn't related to uh, persecution? It's not related to your stand for Jesus. Okay, look. My wife's sickness, Hope's sickness, Marcia's sickness, Jackie's sickness. These are not things that came against us because we're Christians. But look. How we endure those things can glorify God just as much as a miraculous healing. Hello? I mean, we pray for, we pray for healing. We, we pray for deliverance from things. And, and yes, we should pray with faith and we believe in a powerful God. But let me tell you something. You can glorify God just as much by your attitude in suffering and you're not overcome by self-pity. And that you continue to love and serve others. And you, and you put God first in your life even when he hasn't answered your prayers. That's the ultimate statement of your belief in him. I'm putting you first in my life even when you haven't given me what I want. How big a compliment can you pay him? You haven't given me what I want. And I'm crazy about you and will go on serving you to my last breath. The brick. Hmm? The brick. The brick. It's okay how we endure suffering glorifies him And we get to choose now, that's a cool thing you act every single person in this room You don't have a choice about the sickness you're enduring or the trouble that you're in You don't have a choice, but you do have a choice about how you respond to it And how you respond to it goes to the deepest part of who you are with him right?
2: When uh, when you were speaking about Jesus coming to die for us, I just I I, I just remembered a thing I saw recently. I, I love I love the movie series Band of Brothers, and they have a they have a there's a, a film they made of the real people and they're sharing their hist- sharing their memories of the 50 years ago when they were in the Band of Brothers, and. Um, What came to mind was one of the guys, and this is 50 years later, 60 years later, and he's saying, you know, we were on this hill, and I was getting ready to go up the hill. And Joe stopped me and said, no, you stay here. I'm going up the hill. And Joe went up the hill and got killed. So this guy says, I have lived every day knowing that Joe saved my life. He says, I can't eat without thinking about it i can't go to bed without thinking about it and then when you were just speaking about that i mean where are we at really coming to that realization we we're dying if jesus hadn't gone to the cross for us and he went to the cross for us so that we could have life but we you know it just we just we it's not as real as it was for that that soldier whose buddy stepped up, held him back and stepped up ahead of him. But it just really spoke to me about uh, how much more Jesus really did for us. It's just hard to get a handle on that. Thanks. Anybody else? Yeah,
0: Mark. Can you say something about how we use our time? Oh, yeah. Can, a question. Can you say something about how we use our time? How we use our time is the only thing that matters. We are all born with different degrees of physical ability, athleticism. We're born with different intellects. We're born with different opportunities and privilege. But the one thing we're all born with is time. We have the same number of hours and minutes and seconds in every single day. And time can be transformed. In fact, it's time that's transformed into everything in our life. The creation of wealth, depth of relationships, how you parent, All these things are functions of time spent. How you spend your time is the ultimate stewardship that God expects of your life. Now, this ought to really be convicting us. Because I like football. No, 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 Gary, please. That wasn't the Lord. No, no, that can't be the Lord. Listen. How you spend your time is the issue. And did, don't you notice the connection between convenience and time? We all save time. Convenience is always about saving time and energy. So really, how we spend our time is an expression of what we value. So let's put it in those terms and start asking ourselves, Hey, life, that's why the little joke about once a month. I mean, I'm pitching getting you helping to make this church go. And we're saying we want once a month. That's about the minimum of what you can get away with and still say, I'm doing something. It's a good place to start, isn't it? Um. Oh, I shut it off. That was smart.
3: Hello, hello, hello. hello? Okay. So some of you probably got this email from Shells Lesher this week, but I thought it was really appropriate to read it for those of you who don't know Shell's Lesher, is she's really gifted in dealing with kids that have um, different types of emotional problems and have been through trauma, and she's over in the Middle East, um, working with uh, Syrian refugee kids, and basically teaching them about the love of Christ. so um, Anyway, I thought it fit in. I'll read part of her email. Uh, Over the weekend, I was having mild... Hopefully I'll get through this. Mild shocks from my sink. The landlord's brother called a technician to come fix it Monday morning. Then when I went to have my shower that evening, I was electrocuted so badly, I was suspended in the current for a few seconds. I was extremely blessed (laughs) the water was running over my right arm and shoulder and not on my head or left shoulder also because of the water I have no burns just very strained muscles in my arm shoulder and neck I felt after a few seconds and by God's grace, I fell after a few seconds. Um, and if, any- if anyone has ever been electrocuted, your- what controls your body muscles is an electrical system. So you're basically overloading it, and you get you get stuck. You just can't move. Um, I fell after a few seconds, and by God's grace, turned off the water involuntarily as I fell. So she hit the knob to turn on the way down. But you see how she sees God's blessing and all this? It's just, if you know Shell, it's not that amazing, but it's just, it gives you some perspective, right, on the chopping the salad thing or the traffic jam on the way to work. Or someone cutting you off, even worse, right? Because that's more intentional. Um, God is really protecting me. Thank you for partnering with me. And praying for my protection as you are led. There has been such a non-stop series of attacks like this. It just makes me think how much I must be frustrating the plans of the enemy. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome?
0: Right on. I mean,
3: I, I used to work for a, a ministry for three years before I moved here that uh supports persecuted christians in countries where they really are persecuted not just people who make cake, don't won't make cakes for gay couples okay um really persecuted like lose your life lose your loved ones lose your job lose a, a leg you know um watch your children burned alive before you i mean these are the people we we helped and um the one thing when you meet those people is they understand it's part of the deal. I mean, that's what being a Christian is to them. And um, God's been giving me, I really got that email this week. So this is going to be sound horrible, but I just spent a week on a Disney cruise. Because it was my father's 85th birthday, and I took a couple of the kids. And I had a solid week of nonstop buffets and activities that were fun and thousands of people that were there to be served. And although it was very well thought through and orchestrated, what I shared with my wife last night when I got home, because it was just me and the two little boys, and I flew to Florida to go with my parents, is, and I think this is God making me more like Jesus, is that, I just saw the whole thing as pointless because it was all about serving me. And God didn't create me to be served, He created me to
0: serve. That's right.
3: And He created all of you to serve. And if you're not happy in your life, then a lot of it for me is a misunderstanding of what Christianity really is. It's not American Christian. it's not being an American, and it's not American Christianity because what we have, folks, is watered down Christianity. It's how can we fill a building by serving people, by entertaining them, by telling them, God has a wonderful life for you. And if you've got problems, he's going to solve every problem today. Come on down. And um, that's just not the deal. If you read your Bible, that's not the deal. If you read Paul's, any of Paul's writings, he rejoices in this. Do, can we rejoice in these things? It's so counterintuitive. It's so not What's on our mind when we wake up in the morning. But um, so pray that God will work that into you so that like Shell Lesher, when you get electrocuted in the shower, you praise God.
0: <laughs> Thanks. Well, guys, that's right on. OK, so. Would you please pray about helping out because we do need help and it's a good place to start. It really is a good place to start. Let's go, let's go kill in, let's go kill convenience. Find some way today to kill convenience. Buy some lettuce. You know, it does come in a round thing. And some little red tomatoes. And chop them up and make yourself a salad at home. Suffer for Jesus. Make your own salad. Okay, we're done.